Um, what level are you going to talk at? I'm going to talk around here. Level seven. <laughs> okay, perfect. Hey, I'm Miranda. And I'm Harry. And this is A for Effort. The show where we each bring three terms based on a given theme, and the other person has to guess what they mean based on their roots, their etymology, their origin, their whatevers, their this, their that's, whatever they can do. And then they're scored out of five for its <coughs> term. <laughs> do you want to do that? No. <laughs> we're doing that. We're using this take. <laughs> Right. This week, my theme is social psychology. Ah, good and specific. <laughs> it's all, they're all derived from the book, the person and the situation. Which which, the book, the yeah. person and the situation. <laughs> they're all derived from all three of those things. <laughs> Platonic ideals of things. <laughs> A great start. <laughs> Okay, my first term is dispositionism. Okay, dispositionism. So a disposition is uh, proclivity. An ism is a suffix denoting a body of thought or like um, an attribution, let's say. So let's, de- let's define dispositionism as a, as a proclivity attribution. Does <laughs> that work for you? Okay. Um, my first idea was that it's something to do with someone's likelihood to be a certain way interacting in a social setting, uh, as in maybe it's a body of thought where people are predisposed to react in a certain way in a certain social situation. What was that? How's that work? How's that sound? Um, my first hint is that it's contrasted with situationism. Situationism versus dispositionism, the clash of the titans. <laughs> It's the real Champions yeah. League final. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's a situation versus a disposition. Okay, so that something is inherent versus relational. Is that the general contrast? What do you mean? I.e. dispositionism is something to do with someone's inherent disposition, whereas situational is something to do with the context, the relative surroundings. Yeah. Okay. The idea that how people react is inherent it's not necessarily genetic but it's disposed within them as opposed to uh dependent on this specific situation but what does that even mean that's, a, that's the most general thing i've ever said <laughs> it's like if i just said x is y is that the answer so dispositionism is you kind of already said it i hope so <laughs> yeah. when you said x is y that was <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's like if i saw you at the grocery store in the express line where you're only supposed to have up to eight items and you had 15 items and i saw you see the express line sign but then you went into it anyways and you saw me count and i pulled out my abacus and you saw that it came out to 15 (laughs) and then i still put it away and continued yeah then dispositionism or situationism would be impacting my interpretation of your actions is it my actions in the line it's, or your actions? It's my actions. Okay. So your reaction. No, your belief as to whether what I'm doing is should be spoken about, should be changed. <laughs> is taboo. Is taboo. <laughs> um, is it related to like morality? 
i.e. one's disposed to act in a certain way or one acts differently depending on the situation? It's more general. You're not necessarily leveling a moral judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Please okay. give me the well, answer. You, you basically got it. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll just move right on. <laughs> Did I get it in the way that like the Titanic got the iceberg? Like I what grazed it? Oh. <laughs> okay. But it's still going to sink me. It's <laughs> a confusing metaphor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a terrible metaphor. <laughs> so dispositionism is the tendency to attribute behavior to temperament rather than situational influences. Okay. So that's why I said it was more general yes. than a moral judgment. Just general Because behavior. it's just uh, general attribution. So if I see you in line at the grocery store and if you pull out your abacus and <laughs> count to 15 yes. in the eight item checkout lane. Yes. And I see you do that. Yeah. If I'm employing dispositionism, which people have a tendency to do, then I'll attribute that to, oh, that's just a selfish guy. Oh, as, a- as opposed to, oh, he's in a hurry. He needs them for some event that's about to happen. Do you want to summarize? Yes. Dispositionism is the tendency to attribute behaviors to inherent factors rather than situational. All right. My next term is channel factors. Channel factors. So channels could be certain modes of thinking, like certain kinds of having a conversation, like switch the channel, stop being angry at me. Or channels could be like um, a mode of transportation or movement or like a chain of thought. And a factor is a reason or a variable or a... A variable. A variable, let's say. Channel factor. Something that would affect the way in which you, like, manifest emotions, like anger or something. When I think of channel in terms of emotions or social psychology, I think of, like, channeling feelings in a constructive way, you know? Like, if you're angry, express that. Or if you're feeling a certain way, channel it into something constructive or productive. It does have to do with channeling behaviors, So a channel factor is something that contributes to you acting in a certain way? Yeah. Is that specific enough or is that too very general? I'll give you an example of one because you are quite close. I can kind of reverse engineer it. Yeah. Uh, Obama's get out the vote thing Mm -hmm. used channel factors. Used channel factors. Yeah. When you when you do a get out the vote campaign, yeah. you're conv- you're not only convincing people to do it, but like you're kind of you're making people vote basically. Mm-hmm. You're like not motivating them to so much as like creating the correct conditions in which they can now vote. So a channel factor is like, oh, is it like kind of engineering people to behave in a certain way? Yeah. So there's small factors that facilitate action. Okay. In some direction. Okay. Like if you have a plan to register to vote. Yes. <laughs> then you're more likely to actually do that as opposed to just amorphously wanting to thinking, vote. Thinking, oh, yeah. I'm going to vote. My final term is false consensus effect. Um, a false consensus is the, bel- the, the appearance of a consensus, I guess. The effect of that or the... The effect that the appearance of a consensus when there isn't a consensus, is that basically am I the beginning of the definition of this? The effect that the appearance of there being a consensus when there in, isn't a consensus. It's more the effect has leading to... Okay. What leads to a false consensus? Yeah. Something that leads to a false consensus. And a false consensus is a consensus that appears to exist but does not. 
Yeah. Like social factors that make people want to agree to something that doesn't they don't actually want to agree with, like going to a restaurant they don't actually want to eat at. I think that was a bad hint. Right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> the false consensus effect. The tendency. Now, now I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> the tendency for groups <laughs> to believe that they all agree on something without asking. That's close enough. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we should do this, but instead of hints, we just give each word of the definition slowly. <laughs> the tendency? It's just like late and hot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a combination of those things. Welcome to the late sticky night with Harry and Marae. <laughs> We're rebranding. <laughs> We're rebranding to we hate this now. Okay. It's the tendency to rate your choice as more common and less reflective of personal disposition. Right. Like uh, compared to other potential options. So it's not just that you're interpreting the situation and differently and then choosing differently. You're also failing to recognize that others are interpreting it differently because you think that your interpretation is very common. And so any one person would come to your conclusion. Yeah. And if they didn't, it's because they have extreme personality traits that push them away from voting in that way as opposed to making a different choice just because they've construed the situation differently Mm. but are still within the like 50% who made that decision if there are two options or whatever. So to summarize, the false consensus effect is the tendency of people to believe that their opinions are common sense as opposed to related to their own personal bias or predisposition and imagine that other interpretations, if they exist, are based on extreme personality traits. Okay, that is the end of round one. Round two. All right, so today my theme is technological surveillance, the use of different kinds of technology, um, anything from CCTV to um, software that can track your license plate on your car to hacking into your phone for either police or other kinds of surveillance. My first term is logical extraction. Logical following some logic, (laughs) Uh, some reasoning extraction, taking something out of something else. So there's some kind of data extraction going on. You're collecting data from someone. Mm -hmm. Logical, is it using small bits of information about a person in order to glean more information in some way? Like logical extraction, like you're piecing together the puzzle of information bits and assigning them to some profile that you're... It's close Constructing. to Constructing? Yeah. But, like, I feel like that's the logical extension, excuse me, use the word logical, of those two words. Yeah. And, like, beyond that, it will be, I think, difficult to guess. That's my view. Okay. So you think I've gotten You've it You've, like, far. reached the end of the rope, so to speak. Right. I'll give one final guess. When you're collecting data, sometimes it's anonymized by assigning identification numbers or codes to participants or the people to whom the data belongs Mm -hmm. but then they maybe have to sign a consent form and those two things are kept separate and so maybe logical extraction there's some hint in a poorly written consent form Mm -hmm. that allows someone to piece together 
an identity. That's my final guess. Your other guess was closer. Okay. So basically, logical extraction is the extraction from someone's cell phone of the surface level information. So like the saved photos, the saved messages, the saved emails, like the search history, things like that. The next layer of extraction, whose name I forget, <laughs> is like scrubbing into things that they've deleted and stuff like that. So going like another level in to hacking the phone to finding that next layer of information. But right. logical extraction is for some reason called that. And it is about the surface level information, that surface level data. So to summarize, logical extraction is harvesting surface level data from specifically a cell phone or just from the a context piece of in which I read it was a cell phone. It was an Israeli surveillance company that's developed this software where you plug in a phone into their computer and it hacks it and performs a logical extraction and takes the information and then organizes it for you. Cool. There you go. All right, number two. Brute force guessing. Okay, I think I know what this is. All right. When you have passwords, there mm -hmm. are a variety of ways that you can hack into someone's password protected something. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that you can do that is by using a program that will just randomly generate yes. password iterations mm -hmm. at a very fast rate. Yes. And it's brute forcing it because you're, it's the technological equivalent of trying to force the door. It's not very elegant. Yes. Um, it's just like ramming into yeah. as many password iterations as you can until you maybe find the right one. Yes. Nice. And involved in that as well is you have to hack the phone such that, specifically an iPhone, you have to make sure you get around one specific security measure, which is the one where if you put a certain number of wrong passwords in, then it keeps adding to the interval in which mm -hmm. you can't put in a pot, uh, thing. Because if you do it in like a hypothetical infinite number of times, eventually you reach intervals that are like longer than the span of the universe or whatever. So you have to get around that security measure, which is another thing this specific information co or surveillance company that I was reading about, the one that does the logical extraction, they have to perform this brute force guessing to hack into the phone. And this is an agency or this is a company? It's a private company uh, okay. that sells these services, either to police forces around the world or to other things. Forces. <laughs> yes, that's kind of the, the, the tone of this of this report, which is like, err, okay. yikes. Okay. Do you want to summarize that for me? Yes, sure. Brute force guessing is when you're trying to hack into something that's password protected and you just try as many passwords as possible. Mm -hmm. And one thing to get around software limitations on the number of password attempts that you have. Mm. All right, my final term, transdermal monitor. Interesting. Okay. Trans, between or across. Mm -hmm. Dermal, skin? <laughs> like your skin is your epidermis, yes? That's true, yes. So something related to skin, to monitor something is to and it's track a, it. It's a noun. It's a transdermal uh, monitor. Interesting. Okay, so a monitor, some sort of tracking device, like a baby monitor, tracks the baby's activity. Mm -hmm. So a transdermal monitor is something that tracks something changing across skin. <laughs> mm, is this something that can tell who's wearing something? Hypothetically, but that's not what it does in this situation. Right, like what I'm thinking is the thumb recognition. Right, yes. <laughs> on an iPhone. It's it's transdermal in the sense that it literally goes a between like across through skin, and it does tests continuously. 
It sounds horrifying. It does sound horrifying. <laughs> Would you like me to give you the definition of it? Uh, so is this an insidious thing? It's a legally prescribed thing. Is it like a pacemaker? No. <laughs> it's, I think that was an optimistic read. <laughs> it's not. You, I, yeah, okay. It's difficult to say that it's Oh, nefarious. legally prescribed. Is it like something that a criminal would have to yes. wear? And it tests maybe like the levels of something in their blood? Yes. Like drugs? Yes. So basically these transdermal monitors are in the UK some prisoners or some ex-convicts, I guess who are put on specific probationary measures after their sentence. Some of those measures include not drinking any alcohol, not taking any drugs. And so instead of taking um, drug tests at certain intervals, they're given these monitors, which are continuously testing their blood at all times. Wow. All right. So that one was a transdermal monitor, Mm -hmm. and that's some device that's implanted in mainly previously convicted criminals mm-hmm. who have as one of the conditions of their probation sobriety. Yes. And so it monitors their blood levels to ascertain whether they're using drugs or alcohol. Yes. That is the end of round two. Do you have your scores? I have mine. I do. Great. For dispositionism, Mm -hmm. I gave you a four out of five. Wow. For channel factors, five out of five. And for false consensus effect, two out of five. Thank you. (laughs) Um, For logical extraction, I gave you four out of five. Cool. For brute force guessing, I gave you five out of five. Nice. And for transdermal monitor, I gave you five out of five. Wow, nice. Which is 14 out of 15. Cool. Yours comes to 11 out of 15. This week, all of my terms came from a book called The Person and the Situation by Nisbet and Ross. I'm not sure what their first names are. (laughs) It's about people's tendencies to ascribe behavior to disposition rather than situation. Mm. All right. My information is from the Technology Quarterly Report in The Economist this week. It is by John Fasman, and it is about, I quote, um, how unparalleled surveillance capacity and vast amounts of data are radically transforming criminal justice systems. We can link that in the podcast description, and also it comes with a fun little um, comic that they made, like a graphic, four-page graphic novel about um, criminal justice and data protection, which is actually kind of cool, which we can link as well. All right. Cool. A for Effort is hosted and produced by me, Mairead. And me, Harry. And is edited by me, Mairead. The non-me, Harry. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> our theme music is Chop Shop Instrumental by White Flowers, and our logo is by Eights. You can find the show on iTunes. You can subscribe there as well. You can also... <laughs> <laughs> trying out a new tactic. <laughs> <laughs> you can just trying to keep you engaged. <laughs> you can also leave a review. That would be great. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to get into contact with us regarding feedback or just talking about how hot it is where you live, <laughs> um, you can contact us at a4effortcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>